welcome to episode 77 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy, and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we talk to Ashley Jansen, a productivity consultant, about the signs that we need to reevaluate how we're living our lives and why we don't need to wait until we're sick or experience trauma to do it. Why creating space for yourself is essential for growth and doesn't mean you're selfish, lazy, unmotivated, or lacking ambition. The first steps she takes with her clients that you can use right now to start calming your own chaos. And she answers Liz and my question of, is this normal? As it relates to boundaries, guilt, and people showing up in your Zoom room in tears. Plus, as a former client of Ashley's and someone who comes back to her tools and techniques all the time, Ashley will tell you how you can learn from her, read her work, and work one-on-one with her. I'm Amanda Wagner, speaker, business strategist, and professional hype woman. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner Podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not, and are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. The first time I saw Ashley speak, I was in awe. It was 2017. I had just started my first business and she spoke with such calm and poise and had such great ideas. Despite the fact that she was sharing about her experience as a wildly successful business owner who, after her husband's journey with cancer and her own recent diagnosis with MS, Ashley's presence was somehow uplifting. She's the type of person whose ideas help you live a full life and whose voice just makes your shoulders relax and whose overall presence just makes you feel okay and like you are enough just as you are. And that's why in January 2019... When I showed up at her office mid-meltdown, I trusted her with my tears, with my full calendar, and I knew that she was in my corner. Ashley, you help entrepreneurs and business leaders calm their chaos and reduce burnout through intentional practices and intentional time management. And I am delighted to have you here today to chat with Liz and I. Tell me I am not the only person that has come into your space with a full plate, an empty tank, and in tears. Absolutely not. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a, it's an honor to be a guest on on uh, the Mantomager podcast. Um, so, uh, you are, you are by far not the first and, and will not be the last. And in fact, are pretty common. So people come to me when they are on the road to burnout or are already there. And I most often I'm working with entrepreneurs and sort of higher level executives who are juggling way, way too many priorities and feel paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So they're completely overwhelmed, pulled in a million directions, or usually at the point where they're having trouble making decisions. And one of the big challenges I often see is they're, they're starting to kind of actually resent uh, both their their businesses, their, their, their workplaces, their kids, their partners, and they truthfully just don't even know where to start to get things back to a manageable place. So, you know, I like to say that my superpower is calming chaos. So the idea is that you can't really be thoughtful or strategic when, uh, you know, things are, things are up to your eyeballs. You just, you can't because your things are, you know, you're being 
like I said, completely pulled in, in so many different ways. So the work that I do tends to get down to sort of how do we first get you to a reasonable level and then work on some of those root causes, those thoughts and those stories and those expectations and habits that have kind of got you on that path in the first place. Hmm. Do you ever find that people come to you when it's too late? It's never too late. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would say that it's that often people wait too long to ask for help. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're so it's so ingrained in our culture to, um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it on your own. And, you know, we have a lot of shame around asking for help and, and we all know be a burden. And, and there's all sort of the, the fear around seeking that help. So oftentimes people have come to me when, they're they're past that point of feeling like they can even they, they even know what to do but they also have gone to a point where they realize that like they're in so much pain that they they have to make a change they're they're the, the, the anything else is untenable so i think in some ways there that's often when people do come to me is when they're kind of past the point where they think they can they can even manage it at all mm-hmm the fact that there's no such thing as too late, again, it, it has that shoulder dropping effect for me. And to know that at that time you were in a particular office space where you had two office mates and I came in just bawling and was like, sorry. <laughs> and even yeah. they were able to say, don't worry, we've seen it before. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> everybody kind of has to start somewhere. I think that your superpower is definitely in calming chaos, but I also think one of your superpowers is in making business owners and high-level executives who are crying puddles on the floor feel like they're not alone in that and that there's nothing wrong with them. Is there something wrong with us if we are in the depths of burnout? Thank you for saying so. Uh, And absolutely not. I think there's so many pieces to where burnout comes from. It's, it's like built into our culture for, for how our expectations are set. It's built into our lives with sort of the, especially women in particular, but I think people in general of sort of what it means to be a good parent, what it means to be a good business owner, a good, a good staff member, a good employee, all, you know, or, you know, a good, uh, a friend, a good, a good partner means doing all the things and doing them perfectly and doing them well and juggling all the, you know, the, birthday parties, birthday cakes, kids things, um, you know, family commitments, all the things and looking perfect while you do it. And all these expectations that get put on us that unless we are able to sort of dig in and and manage them in in better ways, like, you know, burnouts is kind of an epidemic right now, but, you know, pardon the the, the theme, right, Of, of, you know, what what's expected versus what's possible and reasonable are often very different. Right. Now I was very strategic in inviting you to be on for our second episode of 2023, given that January is, is new year's time in our last episode, we talked about new year's not yet. And all the pressure that we can feel coming into January as though this is the time to set our resolutions. This is the time to set our intentions and get really clear and how even that can create pressure and make us think that we have to do more and that we're not enough and we have to ju- have to juggle all these priorities. How do you respond to chaos and burnout even in the beginning of January where everybody thinks we should all be refreshed? That's an interesting question because I think 
one of the challenges there, there's kind of I think that the January uh, time frame ends up being this this sort of it's a double-edged sword where on one side there is sort of this attitude of you know new new year new me all, all of these things that come out um, but it's also one of the things I have to remind my clients uh, is that it's also an arbitrary date it's just a date <laughs> you know the calendar turns over it's not you know just because the the you know the it went from december 31st to january 1st doesn't mean that you know you have fundamentally changed and there's also this expectation that the holidays are a super relaxing time for everyone when in reality they're that for, for for many people and i would even go so far as to say most people they're not actually that relaxing there's a lot of pressure around family commitments and all the drama that comes with that there's a lot of pressure financially and there's there's all kinds of sort of again there's there's the 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 dream of it the the commercial the tv show of the happy family sitting down drinking cocoa together and blah 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 when the reality is like the the chaos of it the travel all of the pieces that go with it so i think you know really talking about it is just a time frame so when we think about you know where you were in in 2022 going into 2023 does you know it doesn't it's not going to be a the expectation of this transformation i think is the thing that we need to change so how do we make it so that that expectation is shifted to something that's more realistic of okay we can ride this like motivation wave uh, that a lot of people get in 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 um in january because i think there is some of that but how do we set it as a reasonable expectation for what that might mean you come to this really important thing that I think many people forget, which is the sustainability of the intentions we create and the habits we create. Liz talks a lot about acting with intention as well. Liz, how are the first couple minutes of this conversation landing on you? I see lots of head nodding and lots of pensive facial expressions. Oh, it's just great. Like I'm, I'm loving everything Ashley's saying here. And I think like you and I have talked about off mic, Amanda, Ashley is the perfect first guest for us to have because everything you're saying makes so much sense. And I know that the people who listen to this podcast are nodding just as much as I am. I know you can't see me while you listen to this on your walk or in your cars, everyone, but I am nodding a bunch. And I hope that you are feeling some of that reassurance because I think this is exactly the, the type of energy and perspective that we need heading into a new year. Resetting expectations has always been really challenging for me. And like I said, I, I hired Ashley in 2019. We did some work together every once in a while. I will message Ashley for a tune-up. Say, I just need an hour or two of your time because this is what my calendar looks like and I need to, to pull back and reset a little bit. And I'm really lucky to say that in the last year or so, we've expanded our professional relationship to also include a friendship. And I love being able to say that we are text message friends who have seen each other's homes. That yes. to me is this standard of, you've seen my bedroom, we're real friends now. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's true. In, in preparation for this interview, I went back through some of our texts and I want to share this incredibly personal message that I sent to you on December 5th after you asked me a very simple question or a, a question that seems simple, which is, how are you? And I responded, I'm not sure what words to use. I had some major meltdowns this weekend and I did a lot of writing about it. Shocker, it helped. And I spent time wishing I could just escape everything and reset. 
I'm struggling to be honest and vulnerable, which is hard. I know I can do it with you, but I worry that if I take up too much space, I'll become unlikable. So I'm not entirely sure how to share what I'm experiencing and still say, I have space for you. You responded with, I have so many responses to this. And you sent me a list of four or five of your quick and dirty ideas to help <laughs> me get through this. So tell us, how do you respond to this experience of chaos from a simple question like, how are you? Sure. So I had four responses and, and I'll maybe expand a little bit on, on where they came from. The first one was that you don't always have to keep space for others. And I think it's that, you know, when you messaged me, you you kind of started with the assumption that you you have to always be available to others and keep space from them or for them rather. And that's not true. I think, in fact, it's actually in some ways to everyone's detriment that we are always available at all times to your employees, your clients, your colleagues, your family and friends. And I've written about this before. I call it the curse of immediacy. And one of the reasons why it's actually a beneficial if you're not always available is that when you're not available, it actually encourages others to be more thoughtful about the urgency of their requests. And it encourages others to problem solve and figure out challenges on their own. So when we set these expectations for when you will respond, uh, again, from that expectation management perspective, there's a lot of value in that. And all of it ends up when you, when you set those boundaries, it reduces that mental energy toll of sort of breaking focus, decision fatigue, and having all these things get thrown at you all the time. So I think, you know, the kind of coming from the assumption that you have to be able to keep space for others all the time is sort of by itself a fallacy. And, and I don't, I don't think you, you can or should. That's even now it's so hard to hear. And I know you have three more responses. We will get into it, but do. <laughs> it, I instantly feel this, like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> I, I don't have to respond immediately. I'll be honest. Like the, the immediate response is something I'm definitely getting better at. And I have some boundaries around that, but the idea that I don't have to hold space feels so counterintuitive for what I do, especially because I'm good at it. Like there's such a conflict for me going, I'm really good at holding space for other people. So if I say no, I'm almost like a, a double asshole because sure. I'm no and I'm actually good at it. But it does create resentment. I like, deal with guilt. I have been using yep. do not disturb every single day on my phone for I don't know, Amanda, how long have Months? I been doing it? All Months. the time. You're permanently on do not disturb. I am never not on do not disturb. It turns on at 12, 12 a.m. and it shuts off at 11.59 p.m. because that's the best way that I can like make the schedule work automatically on my phone. It's on every single day. So I'm really working on the boundaries with dealing with this curse of immediacy, but I'm so guilty about it. I feel awful that I'm not getting back to people as quickly as I should, whatever should is. And so, mm -hmm. Ashley, just please tell me that that feeling is normal. <laughs> it is absolutely normal. It is absolutely normal. And I think that, you know, that's that comes in with like a lot of the people pleasing behaviors that I'm sure I'm sure um, we we can all relate to. Sort of, we want to be like we like we want to be likable. And you know, Amanda, you even mentioned that in, in your text about you know feeling sort of that fear of being unlikable. And I think that you know, there's 
there's a couple pieces to that. And, and again, this is, I think, going to perhaps tie back many times to that. It will tie back to expectation management, where, you know, when one of the ways to manage guilt is to actually set sort of the boundary of when you are available, because then you've, you've told people, and when people have their expectations met, they're happy. So you don't need to feel guilty about not, not responding within X amount of time because you've already told them when you're going to do it and they're usually happy to, happy to know that. So, you know, from a you know professional perspective, you know, emails, tell people when you're going to respond to their emails. Or if you have a project that's coming up, tell them when you think it will be finished. And again, you know, or even if you need to ask for an extension, say, when do you need it for and, and, and when do you need it by kind of thing. So it's sort of having these conversations that the guilt management can be kind of not perhaps eliminated, but 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 reduced by saying you've already told them so you can sort of live within within that. One of the things I find myself saying quite often with my clients or in training as it relates to to sales is we teach people how to treat us, right? Our Absolutely. Our Dr. Phil, we, we teach people how to treat us. And so yep. similarly to how I would never go into Michael's craft store without a 40% off coupon, I know that Liz is on do not disturb, which when I see that, I'm like, how relevant is this message? And is it okay that she answers eight hours later or not at all? It definitely does make me second guess What's the best way to do this, to get this communication? Yeah. And, and yesterday it resulted in me saying, hey, Liz, do you have a couple minutes for shop talk? And she said, send it by email. And I wasn't mad. Did you feel any guilt, Liz? I didn't feel any guilt. And we've talked about this before. I didn't feel any guilt, but I didn't want you to be mad at me because I didn't know what your preferred communication was. By giving yeah. me the option, I thought, oh, maybe she just wanted to send this via text. But you and I have talked about this on the podcast, All off the, the podcast, in person, on the phone. We've talked about this so many freaking times. But it's still like that still is there and will take such a long time to go to move past that feeling. Something that might come up later as we go through some of this discussion is also sort of the, the stories we tell ourselves. And it's not some of it's about who we are and who we think we are and, and how we react to things. But it's also the stories we tell ourselves about how we think others will react to things. And, you know, one of the, the tactics that I, I, I share often with my clients is, is the flipping the script. So essentially trying to think of if, you know, when you're asking something of someone or you send that text or whatever, whatever their reaction is, if you were to flip it and they were doing it to you, how would you react? So for example, if you needed to ask for an extension or you needed to shift a meeting or you needed to, you know, lose in your, your case with this text, the assuming that she might be mad at you ends up being, you've sort of created this story of what, what she could be thinking or, or how she could react versus sort of what's the, what's the, what's the actual potential reality and what would you do if it was you and also how you know her. So there's kind of all of these different pieces of sort of shifting and taking that step back. Mm -hmm. To come back to my very sad message. <laughs> yes. What yes. was the, what was your second response to, to my fear that if I was open and vulnerable, I would taking up to, I would be taking up too much space and I would be unlikable and wouldn't have enough room for other people, which typically I like to have room for others. Sure. 
So my second one was that you're allowed to take up space. And, and I think that's a hard one for, for the people pleasers out there to hear. And I'm, I'm deeply familiar with it uh, mm. as, as a people pleaser myself. But, you know, there's this instinct we have to create space and to always put others first and yourself last. But you're not a receptacle for others. You know, you're allowed to take up and need to take up space. And I think that, you know, we often do this disservice to ourselves because eventually the, the people you care about... When, you know, when you don't allow yourself to take up space and care for your own needs, eventually there's nothing left for anyone, like both, both them and you. So the idea of sort of reframing this one, you know, I, I need to keep space for others and I don't want to take up any of my own space. They're kind of, they're almost like diametrically opposed where you, you have to take up space and are allowed to take space. And you don't always have to keep space for everyone else. Again, you are not this receptacle to be filled with other people's requirements. Yeah, but <laughs> this all sounds really good. And I'm like, yep, makes sense. I believe it. But I can take up space in my work. Mm -hmm. I love taking up space in my work. I like to be loud and proud and on the stage and sharing but do I still get to do that personally? Yeah, yeah, you do. Because, and this is this is my fourth point, but we'll, we'll swing down to it uh, as it relates to, to what you said. I think one of the pieces with, with taking space and taking up space with others is that, I mean, especially in friendships and relationships, is that uh, you have to trust others to set boundaries if they need to. Uh, and that friendships and relationships are two-way. They, they are reciprocal. Um, and sometimes you get to do the leaning without thinking that you have to pay it back in kind. And I think part of, you know, important relationships is that you're able to, you know, give of yourself to them. That is the gift that you give others. But then you also deserve to have that gift returned to you. And you have to trust that people will say what they need from you in the same way that they have to trust that you will say what you need from them. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's so hard because our own boundaries aren't necessarily set. So we assume others aren't either. So yes, it's, I, I have to believe that other people have boundaries, but I happen to know that you also suck at boundaries. So because <sighs> we both suck at boundaries, I'm not going to set them because I don't know if you have them either. And then we could get into this, people pleasing back and forth. Are you mad at me? What are they going to say? This storytelling loop. I think some of that ends up being sort of a communication shift in, in the relationship you're having about actually asking. And again, not assuming that you know the motivations and the feelings of the people that you're in these relationships with. So be it a friend or a partner, because again, when we create these stories, we're assuming a lot versus, you know, maybe Liz didn't respond to a text for eight hours because she just had too many other things. She might've read it, but literally just like had to put her phone down because she was dealing with other things, not because she was mad at you, which is often like, you know, the, the automatic thought is, oh, she didn't get back to me. There must be something wrong. I have done something. And it's funny because I think there's almost even a, um, 
and this actually comes back to some of the, the reasons that the burnout happens is that in some ways we actually overinflate our importance in other people because we assume all these they, that they are thinking about us, that they are angry with us, that they're they're so concerned about us when in reality they just they have their own stuff going on all the time. And poor right. <laughs> and and it's not because you are not important to them. But it's that you are one of many things that is important to them. Whereas, mm -hmm. of course, you are the center of your world, but you're probably, at least in, in many contexts, not the center of theirs. It's a very adolescent behavior. Right? Absolutely, so we, yes. We are at the center of not just our own universe, but everything around us. So everyone is yes. thinking about me all the time. Everyone is concerned yes. with what I'm doing, which really isn't, it isn't true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'll maybe bring it back to the, the, the third part that uh, I was going to, uh, that I shared with you was that, you know, you in particular have been going through a very transitory time where, you know, it's, it's really actually okay and normal for you to not know where you stand. And when you think about sort of that giving space, taking space situation, I think, you know, for you, Amanda, as you, as you navigate motherhood and all the changes that it brings to your life, in addition to growing a business, you know, I think it's true for anybody going through a time of transition and change that, you know, for, for all the, the planners and control freaks out there, it's about giving yourself permission to not really know exactly where you stand or have that detailed plan or know what comes next, but rather taking that step back to say that, First of all, I've gotten here so far and I've managed and I've gotten through, you know, there's the, the Liz and Molly uh, comic of, of, you know, I've gotten through uh, how many of the, of the hardest days have I gotten through? And the answer is 100%, you know, you've, you've made it. So, you know, I'm a smart, capable person and that, you know, I'll figure it out because I always do. Right. Right. Even if I don't know how, I have yeah. that proof. Yeah. Sometimes I find that the transitional period, whether it is, is parenthood or moving or changing jobs or growing a business, it can feel like an excuse Sure. to me. It's, it's me going, okay, but how long do I get to use that excuse for? Like somebody told me that when you have a baby, you have a, you have a perpetual, you can be 20 minutes late. And I'm like, great. Can I use that for 20 years? Like when, does, <laughs> sure. when is my new baby, not a new baby? And I no longer get to use that excuse. So how long can I use this excuse of being in transition? I can hear your words already. I, I know what you're going to say and I still need to hear them. <laughs> I think that there, there is no time frame, which is what I'm sure you thought I was going to say, but that, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's, it comes down to knowing yourself given the situation that you're in and, and, and setting again, setting expectations for what's realistic. One of the things to consider is actually sort of shrinking your view of things of like from the next few weeks, years to, I'm going to shrink it down to today. As you know, when there's a lot going on, you know, where are you at in the transition? Are you at the beginning of it? Are you nearing the end of it? What does the transition even mean to you? So motherhood, for example, is a constant transition. Um, and there will be different phases of things that happen as your child ages. If you decide to have more children, where are you at in the season of your life? There's the, you know, 
you know, even professionally as you transition between roles and as you uh, perhaps take on different responsibilities and you're learning new things, there will always be sort of these elements of transition. And, and, and frankly, I think we're kind of always in transition, but there's things that are sort of more disruptive than others. So, you know, I think there's this sort of narrowing of, of the view of, you know, what is reasonable today and this week, given what I know about my current status, my current experience, my current schedule. And, you know, how can I make, you know, what I need to do, what I want, what's important to me fit into this context, given what I know. And I love this idea. What is reasonable this time, this week, given my circumstances, given where I'm at, because you and I had a conversation at the end of and mm-hmm. I cancel. I am not the type of person who cancels. And you said, you don't cancel when you're healthy, mm-hmm. you don't cancel when your needs are met. And so it was putting some of these like caveats or, or descriptors that said, yes, I don't cancel under these circumstances. Yeah. But these circumstances are also part of my life. And I think it's sort of changing that context because you can still be a person who doesn't generally cancel, but again, with the generally caveat of, mm-hmm. you know, you are responsible, you are thoughtful of others, you are you know, thoughtful for other people's time and the commitments you've made. But canceling once doesn't change that or ca- having to cancel because you're sick over the course of a week and cancel multiple things doesn't change who you are fundamentally and who you are as a person. And, and, and the expectation management shift and that flipping the script even of being able to ask for some grace from the people that you've made commitments to and expecting the, the reasonable expectation that someone's going to be like, yeah, yeah, of course <laughs> you're sick. <laughs> it's okay. And if I the script and somebody cancels on me, my response is, of course you're sick. Take care of yourself. This can yeah. wait. Exactly. Yeah. Liz, when I think about expectation management and are like, is she going to be mad at me? I scrolled back to our texts over Christmas, which despite the fact that Liz is always on do not disturb, we talk a lot during the day, <laughs> a lot. And there's one message that I sent to you over the, the holiday break with a picture of me and Dottie. And I said, Elizabeth, she says, mom. And I said, also, hi, good morning. I love you and miss you. And I, you said, love and miss you. I said, I find it very funny that during this break for a few years now, we don't talk that much over the holidays. But I don't feel like either of us are mad about it. Are you mad about it? And Liz responds, I'm not mad about it. I don't talk to anyone at this time of year. I really don't. And it was this great way of setting this expectation. It's you just completely black out from communication. (laughs) From communication. Yeah. And and we've gotten to a place where we trust each other and we know everything's fine and we have a solid relationship and we, we know that those are the boundaries that we've, we've set. Right. So now the job is extrapolating some of that boundary setting to other people, even if we don't know them as well as intimately or for as long. Yes. That's the challenge. Ashley, I needed some coaxing into this idea that not everything has to be equal or immediately reciprocal, especially when it came to friendships or personal relationships. I am definitely somebody who, when you say, how are you? 
I'll say, oh, I'm fine, blah, 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 blah. And then I say, but what about you? Tell me about you now. Can you tell me why this reciprocity isn't essential in personal relationships, but also in business? Yeah. So in personal relationships, like, I guess I don't believe that it should ever be tit for tat. Like, you know, true friends don't keep score because they don't need to, you know, as, as we go through sort of the, the rhythms of our lives and the, you know, our usual routines and, and everything, I think, you know, sometimes you will hold others up, but the key is to also know that they, they are people that you trust to also hold you up. And I think the same goes for business is that when you work with people and clients that you like and trust and feel good about, it's reasonable to ask for us an extension or set a boundary around your time in the same way that you would respect them doing the same if they needed to ask the same of you and that that that, that flipping the script idea. Because I think, again, it comes back to that making up stories in our head about how others will react to us saying no or not now or I, I need something from you and then feeling like you need to then like pay them back in kind. And I think most of the time, again, when we're working with people we like, when we work with people we trust, when we work with people that, you know, we, we want to, or, or even in friendships and people that we should, you know, tr you know, true friends are people that you're able to reach out to and not expect that you have to suddenly do something to have earned that. You know, I think it's, it's friendships in particular and, and with our partners, it's not about earning their love. You know, they love you for you. And in business, I think it's about sort of that mutual respect for each other's time and for what you've agreed to do and sort of the, the place you, where you fit in each other, you know, you know, whether you're providing a service or they're providing a service or what, whatever that is. And I think it's, it's really a lot of, it comes back to also communication and giving everyone sort of the opportunity to, you know, react in, in, in a way before you assume how they're going to react and what they're going to do. This year, given some of the conversations that we've had and where I'm at in my life and my business, I've been using the words trust the space to guide some of the ways that I approach things, the decisions I make, and I'm finding myself fighting against it. Yeah. That by <laughs> opening up the space, I'm somehow doing something wrong or that I'm being selfish or lazy or unmotivated. And as somebody who claims that I'm the most ambitious person I know, I want it all, I want it now, to feel this space feels wrong. Can you tell true. me that this isn't true? It is not true. And um, sorry, I kind of have, I have sort of three rebuttals uh, to, to that. So. The first one, and one that I think is sort of a very strong reframe that people have to think about, is that downtime or taking space is productive time versus it being counter. You know, we have this sort of idea that if we say that downtime or taking space is productive time, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, you know, do you concentrate really well when you're exhausted? Are you motivated or passionate when you're drained? Are you energized when you skip meals or don't sleep? You know, do you feel connected and engaged with people that you care about when you don't see them and you don't, you know, do you know, put time into those relationships? So when we think about like that taking space and whatever that taking space means, you know, humans aren't built to work all the time. So really that that taking space and that downtime is productive time because it's in service of you as a human to 
feel good to to not feel drained to to be able to sort of serve your passion and that connection with with the people you care about if we kind of take uh you know extrapolate from that that the, the next the second rebuttal is that time spent on something you enjoy is never wasted and you know uh, i'll share an experience uh that that really hit hit it home for me was when uh, my husband was in cancer treatment he, he finished his cancer treatment and then for for the five years following he had scans every three to six months to see if the cancer had returned and so we would uh he would get scans on uh, the Friday and then we'd have to wait a whole week till the following Friday to get the results. So for that week, we had to sit and think, is our whole life going to change next week? Are we going to have to do this again? And, you know, death was something that we had to think about. So for five years, we kind of were worried that we were in this cycle. And so we would go to the uh, Cross Cancer Institute and we would sit uh, there waiting, waiting to go see his doctor. And one of the things that always, always uh, came up in my mind was, do I have any regrets about anything I've done over the last three to six months? Do I feel like I've wasted any of that time if, if today everything's going to change again and we have to, we have to go down this, this path of, of dealing with cancer again? And I want to be able to say, absolutely not. I want to be able to say that, of course, I had to work. Of course, we had to do laundry. Of course, we had to do real life things. But I also want to say that I spent time like with people I loved doing the things that I enjoyed. Kind of keeping, you know, there's all the trite things of, you know, time is not guaranteed. Life can change very, very suddenly. And really, we want to make the best of the time we have. So, you know, that's sort of obviously a kind of a stark reminder in, in my life experience, but that, do, you know, you know, the, the third piece is kind of related to this is that wasted time. If we really want to talk about what true wasted time is, it's really when you're not doing things with the people you love. It's when you're, you know, when you overwork, when you're spending all your time on these other things, you know, there's always the common adage of, you know, no one looks back on their deathbed and wishes they worked more. You know, we've all heard that a million times, but there, there is a truth to that. And, you know, our lives are not measured in how many to-dos we cross off our list or how many hours we worked, you know, and we all have these responsibilities, but I don't ever, ever want to be able to look back on my life and be like, well, you know, I worked, I got, I got that proposal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ashley, I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable question sure. and feel free to, to decline it. I've asked you this before, so it will probably not surprise you, but I realize that this is, is public. So please tell me if you don't want to answer it. Yeah. You have such a thoughtful perspective on life and living with intention. And I imagine like you shared, some of that comes from having to talk about death. Do you have to deal with sickness or illness or have cancer to finally get that wake up call that you don't have to live this way? And I, I truly believe that you don't. And it's, it's part of the mission of the work that I do and the, the things that I write and the, you know, trying to sort of, you know, I don't, I don't think you have to have something really traumatic happen to you to sort of change, you know, and I, and then the idea is that 
were able to sort of take take those those lessons learned and the the hardships of others and it's part of why i'm open about uh, my experience through supporting my husband through cancer it's part of sharing my experience with multiple sclerosis and and how that impacts my day-to-day and being open about those things is that you know can these things inspire others can these things make you think a little differently about how you how you do things and and truthfully all of us are going to have some kind of trauma some kind of challenge some kind of hardship in our lives eventually like we, we will all experience hard things and i think that we can you know the the power of those things regardless of how huge they are you know they don't have to be cancer or ms they can be the smaller the smaller day-to-day challenges of you know perhaps a divorce or which i guess is not small but you know the there will always be some of these hardships that we face but we can pull from them the opportunity of you know what's what's the the silver lining of of of, of this you know this <laughs> this shit storm you know what is what is mm-hmm. the what is the thing that i can take from this to live the life that i want because if I have to experience this, there has to be something worthy from it. Right. For anybody who's listening, thinking, I can't believe she asked that question. Ashley is, of course, very open about her experience. And if you subscribe to her Every Intention newsletter and look on her blog, you will see just how open you are about it, Ashley. So I I want to just put it out there that I'm not outing your experience. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, And I realize that that is an uncomfortable question, but I can't be the only person who's ever thought, do I have to have an awful trauma in my life in order to live a different way? So I appreciate your answer to that. Now with the, the perspective that by taking up space, I'm being lazy or unmotivated and one of the things that you explained to me really from a sort of technical business lens was about hockey stick growth versus a staircase. Can sure. you explain that to to our listeners? And then Liz, I would love to hear your response to it because this is something that was a huge aha moment for me. Ashley, hit us. Hockey stick versus stairs. Sure. So in business growth, we're often told and expected and sort of set this expectation for ourselves to be constantly growing where you have that hockey stick growth that if you work hard all the time and you give it your all that you will eventually see that hockey stick and it'll be go, 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 go. And you will sort of, you know, shoot, shoot way up. But one of the challenges that often comes with that and one of the things I, I tell clients who don't love to hear it, but uh, I think is, is beneficial is to instead sort of reframe it as a step function and a staircase. So if we think about sort of these, the different breakpoints that we experience as entrepreneurs in our growth. So if we go from say a solopreneur to adding staff to growing our team and all of the, the different pieces that comes with that, there are often breakpoints in terms of our processes, the way we communicate, how formal we need to do things, you know, proposals, bank accounts, you know, do you have a business license, all the sort of the, the technical parts of, of running a business. And as you grow, those breakpoints become a bit more complicated. And as you add more people, they become more complicated. So if you're going along that hockey stick, the, the, the things that get broken along the way end up becoming untenable. And it often ends up being sort of a, a building with a shaky foundation. Whereas 
the step function approach is more you sort of go through your growth phase and you go up and up and up, but then you got to take a step back and slow down a little bit. And it's, it's really that slow down to speed up idea. So instead, how do you then take a minute to set that foundation, create new processes, um, you know, hire the right people, whatever that looks like, in order to then take that next step function up so that you're then experiencing that next level of growth and opportunity, and then you do it again. So instead of constantly go, 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 where there isn't any opportunity to actually set that strong foundation, you're able to sort of go in these these sort of sprints and then slow down, sprint and then slow down, but constantly moving forward and up. The reason I wanted to ask you about this, Liz, is because this idea of, of sprinting and taking space, sprinting and taking space. I know in the last year, you've experienced that in your work with certain periods of your life being go, go, go. I have to mark 30,000 assignments and create content for all these people truncated with bits of I'm taking it easy because I know I have this burst coming up. How do you feel about the staircase? Oh, I love it. And I think it's a, definitely a way that I like to do things. I like having a goal or a deadline. It's like, I have all of this stuff and I am going to hustle my ass and I am going to get it done at whatever mark. And then I know I'm taking three weeks where I'm not doing anything uh, mm -hmm. and applying that same sort of formula throughout the entire year. I I work really well in that sort of style. I know towards the end of the sprint that I'm starting to, I'm feeling it, but I know that there's that, that light at the end of the tunnel where I know I have a really good break coming up. So I really, I really like approaching things that way. So it's nice to hear yeah. that that's a, that's a thing. I feel like the, we're going to change the title of this episode to, is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> so many of our questions are like, I can't be the only one who's doing this. And the reason I love the staircase is because sometimes when I hit that, that point where it feels like a plateau, where it feels like things need to even out, my fear is, will it ever go up again? Mm -hmm. And picturing the stairs gives me that reassurance that in order to go up, I need the energy. I need something in my tank. And that, that plateau isn't laziness. It isn't being unmotivated it's processing, it's recalibrating, it's, it's yeah. giving me that rest time so I can be strategic for the next step. Well, I think it's also sort of taking that opportunity to be reflective and thoughtful and like you said, strategic, because when you're go, 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 and things are crazy all the time and you're trying to you know keep going all the time, we actually miss out, I think, on a lot of opportunity and a lot of sort of that ability to, you know, shift or, or you know, pivot and, and think about what are, the, what are the other things that I should be looking at because you're moving too quickly. Mm -hmm. And again, there's that, the, the, the idea of like the, the, the slow down to speed up where otherwise th things break and you won't have the opportunity to fix them. So then you're building and building and building on all of these broken things until suddenly again, you are burnt out. Your, you know, your business isn't where you want it to be and it's, or it's gone in a direction you didn't want it to because you weren't paying close enough attention. Mm -hmm. When you meet with people or when people come your way, like I said, maybe they come crying into your office, for example, or they reach out <laughs> through your website. I imagine you get a lot of yeah buts. I gave you mm -hmm. one, one myself here. So in our work, we talk a lot about the yeah buts or how quick we are to hear this great idea and go, this sounds great, but it won't work for me. I use the language, good for you, not for me. I imagine that when you meet with people and you talk about boundaries and taking space and calming chaos, you get a lot of yeah buts. What are the things that you hear most often 
And is there a particular phrase or idea that you give people to help them see it another way? Sure. So, of course, there's the, you know, I have to do it all. I can't say no to that. You know, what if I miss out on an opportunity? What if I lose that client or money or whatever? And I usually bring this back to sort of that fear-motivated uh, decision-making. So I think, I, you know, I mentioned before, there's the fear of missing out on money, on connection, of not being liked, conflict, judgment. Those are all really common. But when all of our, our decisions are motivated that way, of course, we're going to go down that path to burnout. So, you know, the, the response to that is, well, you've come to me burnt out. So if, if you know, the, the yeah but is sort of the... The, the, you know, precipitates this, you know, you will constantly come back here. And is that okay with you? Because I don't, I don't think it is. So then the question is, what needs to change? And one of the things that I talk about with burnout is that, you know, it's often actually a thousand tiny self betrayals. It's, it's that always putting ourselves last. It's always making the decision that, you know, is about the money, is about the connection, is about the opportunity versus, shifting and being reflective of, you know, what is, what is reasonable, what is realistic, what is right for me and what actually fits in with my priorities. You know, an another thing I often say is that, you know, it's never about not having enough time because we all have the same amount of time. It's really about having way too many priorities and completely unrealistic expectations for what's possible. So when we think about burnout as this misalignment of expectations, priorities, and boundaries with that fear-based decision-making added in, then, you know, we need to shift it so that we're thinking really about what are the clear, realistic expectations that we can set? How do we then actually get clarity on what are our actual true priorities versus what are other people's priorities? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we then set and maintain those boundaries? And then finally, how do we truly actually reduce that fear-based decision-making so that we're being thoughtful about the, the decisions we make? I can tell you from firsthand experience, it is one thing to do those things on your own, but it is a complete other experience to sit next to somebody and have them not hold you to task, but to really be that voice of reason being like, are you sure? Yeah. Is that really a priority? Yeah. Or is it a priority because you've said that in the past or somebody else has told you that it is? I imagine that somebody listening to this is thinking, this sounds familiar. So Ashley, can you bottom line it for our listeners? If somebody is thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds like me, or knows that they are on the cusp of burnout, what is the one thing that they can do to start thinking a different way? I'm going to say two. <laughs> There's two things. So... The first one is if this one's a lot more tactical. So this one would actually be something that they could they could do for themselves if if they wanted to try and work it out and actually sort of be really reflective and, and take kind of take a step back. So Amanda, you and I have gone through this before and it's actually the very first thing I do with all of my new clients. So it's, it's the first session. And it's actually mapping out in your calendar. So you open up your Google calendar, your paper calendar, your Outlook calendar, whatever you want, and you create a weekly view and create a new calendar. And the very first thing is you map out what is your actual daily routine? What is your actual schedule? So when do you get up? When do you go to bed? When do you eat? When do you do kids activities, bedtime, all those things? And then you take 
uh, you know, what do you want to be doing? So for example, maybe fitness is something that's been falling away. If you could fit that into your schedule, where would it go? Or maybe it's date night with your partner or, or whatever. And then you kind of slide those things in. And then finally, the last piece and probably the most important piece is you map that over top of, and this is why the digital calendars is helpful. What is your actual schedule and how do those align? Because the difference between what you are actually doing versus what you want to be doing and all of the other commitments you have in your life can be very sort of visually uh, jarring. One of the, the, the benefits of sort of this creating this, this visual is that it helps reset your expectations for what's actually realistic and possible because you can actually look and see, given what I know about my day, about my week, this is what's actually possible. And you can actually see, you know, everyone's, they, they have kind of their minds blown by looking at, oh, between commuting and eating and, you know, exercise and kid things, I have such a small amount of time left for all of these things I've set, set up for myself. And, you know, we get to the end of the day and we feel so disappointed about what we did when the expectation that we set for ourselves wasn't even possible to begin with. So that, that's my first sort of from a tactile perspective, if you want, if you wanted to uh, do that. But then the, the other one uh, is ask for help. Yes. Because we there is sort of this, when, when you are so overwhelmed, when you are feeling like you cannot manage it all, mm -hmm. there are people in your life who want to help you and who would love for you to ask for them to help you. And be it a friend, be it a colleague, be it a therapist, be it someone like me, who's a productivity consultant, whatever kind of help you need, there are people out there. And it's really sort of shifting this, I have to do this myself to mm -hmm. who in my life can support me through whatever piece I'm struggling with most right now, or even multiple pieces. And it really comes back to letting yourself lean on others and trusting others to set their own boundaries. Like we said at the beginning of, you know, being able to both give and take space and, and knowing that there's people in your life that you can ask for that from. And also if a professional should be involved, but be it a therapist or a doctor or uh, like a consultant mm -hmm. like myself or, or like you, Amanda, you know, there, there's an opportunity there and, you know, we are, we are social creatures, connectedness and engagement is really powerful and that can make a big, uh, significant change. Sure. Thank you so much, Ashley. Uh, we here love asking for help. Uh, and so in the spirit of don't ask, don't get, do you have an ask for our audience? I do. I would love if you checked out my website at ashleyjansen.com. Uh, and it will include how to sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter, which has uh, my writing on topics like we've talked about today. And it also includes a link to book me for a free consultation if you want to learn more about how I could help you. Brilliant. We will include the link to your website and all of your social information in the show notes. After this brilliant conversation with Ashley, I would love for our listeners to consider what is one thing that you can do today to be more intentional with your time and energy. This doesn't have to be the biggest thing or the scariest thing, but it's one thing to get you to think about being more intentional and taking some of that space. Because as Ashley says, sometimes you have to slow down in order to speed up. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. This was Liz in our first interview on the podcast. I know I am feeling 
brilliantly inspired and also exhausted. Liz, how are you feeling? I just feel wonderfully validated in my feelings, Ashley. Thank you for yeah. your brilliance. You have such wonderful things to say, and you're also just a pleasure to listen to, period. <laughs> Thank you I very much. You there's something about her voice that yeah. just... <laughs> It's beautifully therapeutic and thank you. We are we are really delighted that that you made this time for us and I hope that anybody who comes our way also comes your way because you're doing some incredible things and my god we need to hear that we're normal, hey? Oh, thank you so much for having me and uh it's it's an honor to be your first interviewed guest and uh, it was a lovely conversation and I, I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Well, despite the fact that I feel like Ashley read me like a book and drilled deep into some of the ways that I'm not living intentionally, that was magical. Oh, she's good. She's so good and she's so calming. I cannot wait to introduce you to even more of our great guests. And again, please reach out to Ashley if anything in this episode has you thinking, oh shit, that's me. In the spirit of don't ask, don't get, I'm here with my ask. I am very intentionally looking for speaking engagements for 2023 and have opened up space in my calendar to look for those and connect with people who think they have a great idea or want results with their team, but aren't quite sure how to do it. Let me do some of the heavy lifting for you. You can find me at theamandawagner.com, fill out that contact form, and I will be in touch with you about some of the magic we can create together. And if you need a digital communicator on your team, I could be that person. If you need help with social media or with writing, or you're thinking about a podcast, I'm your girl. Visit lizpittman.com or connect with me on Instagram at lizpittman. It was a true delight to have Ashley with us today. Liz, I know this was your first encounter with Ashley live and in person. There's a lot for us to think about and take into our own work and lives. So a big thank you to Ashley for joining us for our first interview of 2023. Stay tuned. There is more to come. We will be back in two weeks with a new episode. And until then, we will see you on the internet. Okay, could you hear my stomach growling while we were doing that outro? No, but okay, it is. It's, it's, oh. it's raging over here. I need a Maybe snack. Okay, you need a snack. Can I just tell you my two favorite things about Ashley? Of course. The first one is that her voice is so calming. Mm -hmm. It's almost meditative. Like I feel refreshed after yeah. listening to her. Yeah. I also feel like she could read an audiobook and I would just like be tucked into into my bed. The mm -hmm. second thing is that when I have met Ashley or like worked with her, sometimes I get mad at her and I tell her like, I'm mad at you because you're right. <laughs> sure. And I think that's part of her power that it's like, yeah. you might hate her, but only temporarily because she will make your life so much better.